Well, hello. And today we have Kate McCunn, who's a co-author of this awesome book that I'm going to be plugging throughout this um, podcast uh, because her and Julie have done a fantastic job. But Kate's also a fellow advisor. Um, so we're very passionate about very similar topics. Um, so I wanted to, first of all, introduce Kate, get a bit of a, a background on her so um, where she has that authority to, to write such a great book like this and then also to discuss um, the importance of this, uh, you know, money management better than saying financial literacy because it is something that it makes all our worlds go around and have this the lifestyle that we desire and this book really gives you some great, um, you know, exercises to actually get you on your way to actually creating that financial plan and setting those goals and answer some really great questions along the way as well. But we'll cover that in a moment. First of all, thank you very much for joining me, Kate. My pleasure. Um, Just so we get an idea, I'd love to know how you got into financial planning. Well, it, it was actually one of those meandering parts. It wasn't certainly something that, you know, I was finishing school or university and thinking, wow, I'd like to be a financial advisor, which I think is probably similar for many of us. But I, I, left, um, I left the university and I actually wanted to be a journalist. But I didn't find a role in that path because when I left uni, it was actually in the recession, the one that we had to have back in the early 1990s. And I ended up um, getting quite a good role with a publishing company, which I really enjoyed. And I learned a lot of skills and got a bit of insight into that world. But after working there for a little while, realised that it wasn't a growth industry. So I was quite determined to work in a growth industry. And so I ended up, by way of working in telecommunications for a couple of years, um, finding my way into um, an institutional financial advice firm called State Street. And I worked there for many years and I just kept wanting to get closer and closer to the end client. So I've managed money, I've managed investment funds, I've managed superannuation funds, but I had the opportunity um, when I was working with one of the firms to actually join the financial advice group in a strategy role. And that really excited me to be involved with actually determining you know, what what financial advice looked for for that group of financial advisors. And at the time, it numbered over 800 of them. So that was my meandering path. I've spent more than 25 years in financial advice, I'm afraid to say, uh, in financial services, I'm afraid to say. Um, But I've loved every minute of it. It's such a fascinating industry. Um, And I have to say that now being a financial advisor is like the culmination of all of these amazing things that I learned along the way. And it just seems that everything's lined up to put me in this place. Mm. And we've met through the AFA and I remember many years ago, well, not many years ago, so five years ago I met you, you came in and did a workshop with a couple of other advisors on um, sort of the way you operated your business. And I remember going, because you had and you're still very strict about, um, you know, how you want to operate your business, but how many clients you are serving because you want to ensure that they get the whole service that you could deliver so you're not spreading yourself too thin. And I remember walking away going, right, I've got to think about this and how many clients does my business, when is it going to reach that capacity and what does that look like? And I remember because I'm still on that on that journey myself, but I remember you were the one who actually brought that to mind and making sure that my clients just get that full treatment like they 
you know, have that relationship with you. They see you regularly, but you're not spreading yourself too thin with too many as well. So you're ensuring that they're getting the best um, advice and you you hold their hand all the way. Um, So I wanted to thank you for for sharing that with me because that's definitely helped me with building my business. Can you tell me a bit about your business because you've got a practice in Sydney? We do. So I um, made the decision to run my own financial advice business about 13 and a half years ago. It feels like no time. And I was looking at different options for what I might do. And I happened to say to my husband, you know, I'm thinking I'd like to run a financial advice business, but use a consulting model. And the consulting model primarily being about one where you agree the fee for the services rather than the traditional model of financial advice, which was charged on commissions or fee for advice. And my husband said to me, well, funny you should say that. I've actually been looking at the same sort of opportunity. So he had been running a consulting business, um, working with major banks and financial institutions, but not in advice. But both of us were qualified as advisors. And so we um, we sort of said, oh, well, maybe we could do this together. So we, we decided that we would run a business together. And so that's been our journey. It was very difficult um, establishing a business on a fee-only basis 13 and a half years ago. People just weren't ready for it. So we did research and a lot of the potential clients that we spoke to said, yes, love the idea of fees, but we were actually a fair bit ahead of the game. And it sounds strange, but we actually established our business in January 2007. And of course, in 2008, by the end of that year, the financial crisis had hit. Now, one might think that that was a disaster for a new financial advice business. But strangely for us, it was actually really good because it put the whole issue of financial advice fees on the front page of the paper. And it actually made people look at what they were really paying and what they were getting for their money. And so even though it's been a challenging journey, you know, starting something that is quite a different model, it's also been exceptionally fulfilling. Um, And for us, probably the turning point was about six years ago, so just before we met, and I did a coaching program out of the US, which really assisted me in gaining the confidence to restrict my client numbers, to have a fee-only business and to also be very selective about the type of clients that I worked with. So to have a specialty. And my specialty was um, primarily working with professionals. So I work with a lot of lawyers. Um, I have some doctors. I have some investment um, professionals as well. Um, And primarily working with women. So a lot of my clients are actually females who are independent. So they, they fly solo. Um, or they're women-led couples. So it's the woman who's leading the charge in terms of saying, this is what I want. I want to get some financial advice. And my preference is to work with a female financial advisor. That's fantastic. I love, you know, it's really important with anyone who starts business is to be really specific about not only the way they're going to operate their business, um, but who they're going to be serving. And um, you've, that, you know, being a pioneer in our industry to set the fee-for-service model, uh, which is now basically encouraged to do it with, you know, that's the way forward. Um, and I remember bringing that into my business and that is the challenges with that because, as you said, everyone's been ex- used to commissions through a percentage of um, funds invested or um, commissions of uh, insurance as well. But there's so much more that is involved, as, as this book clearly states, than just those two products. And financial advice isn't actually about products. 
they're just a tool to get us from A to B. You know, like the car, um, you know, we need it, but it's it, it's not our life. It's not the be-all and end-all. You know, we've got the roadmap and basically a book like this gives you that roadmap. So that's a nice little segue for me to actually talk about this book. First of all, um, what got you and Julia to, you know, join forces and start this uh, this project and get this book done? Well, probably like you, Amy, I've had many, many discussions with women about money and there's a whole range of reactions that you get. But typically, women will tell us that they don't feel so comfortable talking about money. They quite often will step away from engaging in money. Um, They, you know, simple things like having clarity around Um, the money that's coming in and the money that's going out, knowing what their assets and liabilities are. I used to run um, workshops and I'd I'd ask the room, who knows what their superannuation balance is? Just just a show of hands. And honestly, and this is not just women, but um, everybody in the room, you know, you'd have 90% of people put up their hands saying, I just don't know my super balance. And so the issue for women is that because we tend through our lifetimes to earn less, largely because of the pay gap, but also because we take breaks to have children, we take breaks to care for elderly parents, we may not work full time for our entire career, and often women work in industries that are lower paid than men. And so we have this, this, you know, snowball effect of Um, our financial situation just generally not being as strong as men. And so if we don't really jump in and take control, then we're much, much more likely to suffer the downside of not being engaged with money. And so I tried all sorts of things. I tried doing seminars. I'd been involved a lot with the media and doing interviews with um, the Sydney Morning Herald and Money Magazine. And it just seemed like I wasn't getting any traction. And I was having lunch with Julia one day and we were both bemoaning the fact that, you know, here we were um, at the time I was I was about 50, Julia was approaching 50, and it seemed such a strong turning point to say, you know, gosh, you know, I haven't got that long left of my working life and my peers certainly don't. What happens if we don't get women to engage now, women who are about our age? Um, and the the outcome just didn't look rosy. And I said to Julia, I don't know what else to do other than go really old-fashioned and write a book and write a book that attracts women, that speaks to women and that doesn't at the um, face value look like it's just about money but has a little bit more pizzazz to it. So the whole idea of writing The Joy of Money, The Australian Women's Guide to Financial Independence, was to create a book that engaged women, that gave them an on-ramp to talk about the things that mattered in their life and to understand that money was such a strong support for achieving all of those amazing things that they wanted to achieve. Well, I believe you certainly succeeded in, in with this book. When you open it, first of all, I've read many financial books and I'm sure you have too, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. And some, some are just uh, very misleading. Some actually can be all tech jargon and, and nothing in between, no, no heart or soul, and some can just be too waffy. This book was just... Yeah, there's a, really, there's a lot of ugly. <laughs> there is a lot, a lot of, of ugly out there. Yes, and and, you know, if you go to try and read a book about money and finances, um, Julia, in my view, with The Joy of Money, was it has to engage you. You know, we want you to read through to the end because if you only get snippets, 
then you're not getting the whole picture. And you and I know from the work we do as advisors that that whole picture, that longer-term view, that thinking wide about all aspects of your life, not just about, you know, your superannuation balance or your investment balance, but thinking about your family and how you support your family and how you achieve the things that are important for you as well, you know, the, the self-care, all of that is so important. And if you if you don't make it through to the end, then there's a fair chance you're going to miss some of that good stuff too. Absolutely. Um, well, I like that throughout the book you really engage uh, the, you know, your audience with music I you know and just some of the titles in here um, as soon as I opened the book I, I took a photo I was like oh, this is amazing um, you know the second chapter be sassy and that in itself had an explanation but respect so you know RSP you know I'm already thinking Aretha Franklin and just getting into it you know um, there's you know money 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 and there was another one here that I loved. You know, actually, as you, instead of dog tagging everything because I've ruined the book, uh, I've got little little uh, post-it notes here. Um, knowing me, know it. Knowing me, knowing you. And I love that because it's just focusing on really understanding what you want, your goals, and and where you want to go with life. So it, it was incredibly engaging and it's entertaining as well. But at the same time, as you're reading through these pages you're getting some really clear direction. Without information being shoved down your throat, it's it's giving you the facts and information for enough for you to go, that's really important, I need to investigate that or I need to actually understand more about that. And you even do go further and explain things. Um, many times I've read books or articles and they just throw acronyms at you. But, you know, like I spoke with Naomi Christopher and interviewed her on you know, the jargon that we spoke we speak about in finance and we're so used to speaking it, we forget that people out in the world don't know. So throwing terms like an ETF, what does that is? What is it? And why would I use that? What how what what's the point of me investing in something like that versus me just going and buying direct shares? And you really break that down, make it easy for someone to understand if they wanted to create their own portfolio within their super or externally. Um, the other one I loved, I think it was in regards to superannuation. No. While you're finding that one, I love yes. your point around a lot of the um, articles that are available in the press or the books that are out there try and tell women what to do. And I know as a woman, I dislike mansplaining where, you know, somebody, and it's usually a bloke, um, and when I say bloke, I mean, you know, your typical alpha male bloke um, who's trying to tell a woman what to do when he has no idea about the reality of her life. And I think Julia and I, um, we have quite different lives. You know, I have children. Julia doesn't have children. Julia lives in the inner city. I live in the country or, you know, slightly in the country. Um, I have a property with animals and, you know, Julia enjoys going out to the theatre. I mean, I enjoy going out to the theatre, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just different lives and different paths and different priorities. And we were really conscious to make sure that the message that we wanted to get across was there's many, many ways to do this. There is no one size fits all. This is not about comparing with somebody else. It's not about doing what somebody else tells you you should do because they believe it's the right way. 
This is about working out what's important for you, what are your priorities, what are your values, and then lining up your strategies and the actions that you take to support those values. Um, and we wanted to give as much room as possible in the joy of money for those possibilities. And that's why there's lots of stories in there as well. So we've got some profiles and stories of women who've taken different paths and approached things differently. But it's, it's, it's just the old adage, there's more ways than one to skin a cat. Absolutely. Well, that just takes me to another point that I had put in here in regards to, you know, uh, to buy versus renting. You know, this topic for me is such a sort of point sometimes with my clients because they're taking on the values of other people and they're very nervous about getting into the property market. But that's what they feel they have to do. That's what they, their expectation from potentially family members or, you know, my dad's done this and this is what I have to do. And, um, and then, you know, living in Sydney, it's an expensive exercise if you're not clear about it. You know, when you compare other capital cities in Australia, you know, it's quite high cost of living. So I love that you actually really give some real facts around buying versus renting and there is no right or wrong way. It's the same with through, throughout this whole book. You're just giving the information. It's very well-rounded um, and it's very common sense. And it isn't shoving it down someone's throat because it gives, it's a guide to say, what is it that I want to do? And that's where the empowerment comes when it comes to us women making these decisions. Because as you said earlier, women are often in charge of the finances at home, have a real clear understanding of exactly what's going in and out. But when it comes to big plan, the bigger picture, or even investing, there's a lot of fear around that. Um, mostly because we've been told that's what you have to do or that's not right or not given choices and the freedom to take charge. Yeah, and I think um, it, it's interesting, like even just reflecting on the, the buy versus rent example, and I'm glad you raised that one. Um, but I can honestly say that a lot of the insights in that chapter as well as in the book are from lived experience. And I think, again, this is the beauty of not being a financial journalist only, and Julie is a very good financial journalist, but bringing the financial advice elements, and you would see this as well, is that when we've lived something, it, it had, you have a different response to it. And so a lot of the um, insights in the book, we wanted to come from lived experience and not just our own lived experience, but also the lived experience of the women that we interviewed. And we interviewed over 100 women to write the book. Um, but I spent many years renting and it was just the right decision for me at the time. And now I'm, you know, delighted that I own my own home again. But as you say, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can make different decisions at different points. And I think that, um, you yeah, know, that reality rather than it being a theoretical um, set of, you know, recommendations or ideas or possibilities um, is really important. And you've also demonstrated in that, that you can still be financially secure and, you know, be all strings ahead, even if you rent. A lot of people think that they're not, they're going to be behind. But you've, you've demonstrated with numbers and information that it's not, that that's not always the case. Um, the, other, the other one I loved and I, you put a great song to this one was Money for Nothing, and talking about superannuation and really spelling it out and and superannuation to me is that it is money for nothing we we're making money 
while we're sleeping, but a lot of people have no idea how it works or the concept of how, the, you know, it's, it's got its own envir- a tax environment um, and the, the beauty of, of how compound interest works and that money is making itself money that's going to be something that we can have later on in life. Um, so you really bring a lot of this stuff to light in such a beautiful way. So I have to say thank you for that because, you know, as I said earlier, there are the good, the bad, the ugly, and this book is a really good read um, and something that I want to be able to give to my stepdaughter's 21 in two weeks. Um, and, you know, I don't want to be, again, as you said, shove something down her throat and say this is what you should be doing. She's very good with her money and she actually works in finance as well as university, like it's her part-time job, is within our industry. So she's got some concept and her dad's, you know, her dad and I often talk so she hears the conversation. But in terms of um, expecting her to come to us for financial advice, I don't expect that. And I don't expect family, my parents, for example, appreciate I'm an advisor, but they wouldn't come to me for advice. And I, I respect that much. In some cases, sometimes don't want them. Like I don't want my parents to because there's going to be an bias approach on my behalf and that's not going to be the right, right outcome for them. So a book like this, I know my parents do have an advisor, but those who don't, I'd be saying have a read of this book and then with all that information, make the decision on whether it's right time for you to get an advisor or just to, you know, you might just go for some some financial planning practices do just give a snippet of advice for that particular time. Others are, I say, you know, lifelong uh, relationships. Like I take on a client and I say this is a long-term process. I don't just give advice on a small piece. So there's there's options out there for clients, I mean, for people sorry, seeking or these readers seeking advice. Um, but this book is a great start to really being able to write your own map to your financial freedom. Um, so tell us. And I think. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, importantly, we also were really cognizant that um, just as you say, there's different flavours in terms of the depth to which different financial advisors will go and what they'll cover. The idea with the joy of money was also to give a resource to people who do have an advisor. So the idea is that it gives them questions that they can ask. It gives them um, more information so that potentially they, they feel more confident asking questions and you know a little bit like you um I always say to my clients you know this is a marriage not a date Mm -hmm. and the idea is you know it is a long-term relationship and if you're in a long-term relationship you should come together as as equals so I do expect my clients to ask me you know what I call robust questions if they want understanding and they want to feel more comfortable or they want to explore a particular area in more detail um, I'm quite happy to to have a, a good in-depth conversation about that. And, you know, in the current envi- environment with COVID-19, you know, we're having a lot of conversations around the way that markets work. We're having conversations around the differences between the different asset classes. And they may not have come up if clients don't feel 100% comfortable asking you, you know, what some sometimes could feel like challenging questions. And so a big part of the book is to actually support people with an advisor equally as people who don't have an advisor, to be able to have enough information to feel confident asking questions. So it's, it's very much designed as a resource for everybody. Absolutely. And you've even got, uh, 
examples of that. You know, you've got little profiles on people and you state whether they have an advisor or not. And um, besides also there's lots of quotes from women, you, you know, you've interviewed throughout the book as well. Um, but you're right, there, a lot of people don't have the confidence. And some uh, one thing I do with my clients is I give them a few, let's have a look at a few scenarios, whereas other financial practices will actually go, this is based on the information you've given me, what you should be doing. There's, I don't always see that, that approach empowering because if you don't, if you're kind of going to an advisor, never been to one without these kind of questions that they can now go, I've read about that, um, I want to explore this a bit more, then they're just going to be going, all right, I've been prescribed this process, this, this approach to my finances and that's it. And that might not be the answer or the full story for them and they might not be enjoying that actual process. So absolutely great point that this book is actually also a guide for not only those who are um, not seeking advice, who already have advice and how they can talk to their advisor about that too. I'm just going to pause for one minute. The baby's just come home and she's a bit distressed. Now, this book has also been forwarded by Julie Bishop. And we met Julie last year and I was incredibly impressed by just her openness and um, how she just is so passionate about empowering women and ensuring women are financially okay. And this forward has a lot of statistics um, around that um, with the gender pay gap, the fact that women are retiring far less than men are and how important it is to actually get this message across and it's important to her. One thing she admitted to us when we met her, if you recall, was that when she was in Parliament, she never sought advice because she thought financial advice was expensive. And I think we were all floored by that comment. Um, obviously, she changed her tune and admitted that she wished she'd done it sooner. I think throughout, uh, many of us have experienced that from clients. Um, can you tell me a bit about your experience with Julie and um, a bit how you approached her and and how it came about that she was a, she she wrote the forward to this book. Well, as you said, we had the very good fortune as members of the Financial Advisors Inspire community, which is a women's community for financial advisors, to arrange to meet with her last year. And as the former deputy leader of the Liberal Party, we were very interested in getting her insight in how could we move the dial for women in our community because we felt that there were many women who were um, at risk of being financially distressed. And I was, I was just so blown away by her strategic insights and by her generosity in the time that she spent with us. So we had, I think, over an hour in a meeting with her. And that was a very, very rich discussion. And not only that, she also agreed to take some questions when she was doing her keynote at the conference so that we could actually get some of the issues that we were concerned about raised in front of the broader forum of over, you know, 1,500 people who were in that room. So she was very, very impressive. And it was after that meeting that I was walking her back to the conference room. And I just said to her, Julie, you know, I am so impressed with your support for women. And I'm wondering if you would do me a favour. I'm writing a book. It's called The Joy of Money. And before I'd even finished, Amy, she said, oh, could I write the foreword for you? Awesome. I didn't. I did not even need to ask her. She was just so ready to assist 
with the forward and um, and I was just I was just delighted, absolutely delighted. Can't think of a better person who's been obviously preeminent in our political system for so many years. Um, she is a professional and she's a lawyer, and so it aligned nicely with you know my professional specialization as as an advisor. And so it was just um, one of those serendipity moments and I um, grabbed it and I was just delighted that she said yes. And she wrote the most beautiful forward, a very, very thoughtful and considered forward that I think will be quite timeless. Um, Absolutely. Well, I mean, that day uh, stands out in my mind as one of our highlights with all the conferences I've ever been to and people that I've met that are impressive. That one hour with her was incredible and I think as a panel we all very quickly were expressing our concern about uh, not only gender pay gap more about uh, the concerns that women will run out of money and we outlive men Um, we've got far less in our superannuation and there's this conversation as we had had and as you said then we needed we need a strategy to get this in the forefront of conversations far more and and also um, from a political standpoint, more so than ever. Um, and her insight, as you said, she was very strategic and she basically gave us a lot of ways that we could get in front of people. And by standing up to the Q and doing the Q&A, there was another politician there that day who refused to do that. And that spoke volumes about her, about Julie Bishop more than anything. I felt incredibly generous. So, yeah, she did have a great forward. So I do encourage anybody who wants to get their hands on a, a great book that's just gives some guidance on how they can take over their finances this is a great book to um to be reading i think it's you know it's one of those foundational books you should have everyone needs to get their hands on it um and uh, i'm not saying that because i know you personally kate um but i it, it, i'm being not just biased in terms of knowing you but because I believe so strongly that women need to really take control and this is an empowering and fun and insightful book that can get you to do that. So thank you for writing that and thank you to Julia as well. What I would like to do is get you back on and because otherwise we'd be here for another hour. Honestly, there's so much more that I want to talk about with this book and more questions I have for you. So if it's okay, can I make another appointment and get you back on this podcast to uh, chat more about not only the joy of money but also just uh, money in general and and some great ideas that we can share in this, in this podcast with this audience? I would be delighted to, Amy. I think the more that we can do to make money real and to make it practical and to give insights that people can do something about And one of the things in the book that we've got some little quick steps which are designed as money hacks, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about that because I think in the current environment that could be something that would be a lot of fun. But anything that we can do to help people feel more joyful about their money and more comfortable about making financial decisions so that they're ultimately better off and can live their dream life, that's what we're all about. Brilliant. Well, let's let's discuss some of those, those money hacks in our next podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks, Amy.